0: There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Rowe, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History. Brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. January 16. On this date in literary history in the year 1605, groundbreaking novel Don Quixote is published. On January 16, 1605, Miguel de Cervantes' El Ingenioso Hidalgo Don Quixote de la Mancha, better known as Don Quixote, is published. The book is considered by many to be the first modern novel and one of the greatest novels of all time. The protagonist is a minor noble, Alonzo Quixano, whose obsessive reading of chivalric romances drives him mad. He adopts the name Don Quixote, and, along with his squire Sancho Panza, roams around La Mancha, a central region of Spain, taking on a number of challenges that exist entirely in his mind. Quixote attacks a group of monks, a flock of sheep, and, most famously, some windmills he believes to be giants. The episodic story is intentionally comedic, And its deliberately archaic language contributes to its satirization of older stories of knights and their deeds. Although Cervantes made only a modest profit off of its publication rights, the novel was republished across Spain and Portugal within the year. Over the next decade, it was translated and republished across Europe and widely read in Spain's American colonies. Over the subsequent centuries, critics have continued to praise, analyze, and reinterpret Don Quixote. Many analyses focus on the theme of the imagination and the more subversive elements of the text, which has been taken as a satire of orthodoxy, chivalry, patriotism, and even the concept of objective reality. The novel gave rise to a number of now-common idioms in Spanish and other languages, including the English phrase "tilting at windmills" and the word "quixotic." Lawrence Stern's *Tristram Shandy*, another novel frequently called one of the greatest of all time, was heavily influenced by *Don Quixote*, as was Mark Twain's enormously influential *The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn*, which explicitly references Cervantes's work. Cerebral, comedic, and groundbreaking. Don Quixote has endured in a way that only a select few novels could. January 17. On this date in presidential history in the year 1994, Paula Jones accuses Bill Clinton of sexual harassment. Paula Jones, a former Arkansas state clerk, files suit against President Bill Clinton in the federal court in Little Rock, Arkansas on January 1994, asking for $700,000 in damages. Jones claimed that Clinton, while governor of Arkansas, sexually harassed her and then defamed her after she went public with her accusations. The following August, Clinton's lawyers filed a motion to dismiss Jones's suit, citing presidential immunity. The federal district judge ruled that Clinton could not stand trial until leaving office, but that the investigation into Jones's allegations could proceed. Jones appealed and in 1996 won the right to proceed to trial in the Supreme Court. Clinton then filed a request to delay the trial until he left office. The timing of the decision, which coincided with the November 1996 presidential election, brought Clinton a reprieve. The Paula Jones case was one of four major scandals that coalesced to threaten Clinton's second term. While working on the Paula Jones investigation, independent prosecutor Kenneth Starr uncovered Clinton's alleged affair with White House intern Monica Lewinsky. Starr was also pursuing ongoing investigations into allegedly illegal real estate deals made by the Clintons, known as the Whitewater Scandal, and a dispute concerning allegations of cronyism in the firing of workers at the White House travel agency. When questioned about the Lewinsky affair, the president was decidedly less than forthcoming, leading to charges of perjury and obstruction of justice. Though Democratic leaders preferred to censure the president, Congress began the impeachment process against Clinton in 1998. A divided House of Representatives impeached him on December 19. The issue then passed to the Senate, where, after a five-week trial, he was acquitted. January 18. On this date in automotive history in the year 2009, GM auctions off historic cars. January 18, 2009 marks the final day of a week-long auction in which auto giant General Motors sells off historic cars from its heritage collection. GM sold around 200 vehicles at the Scottsdale, Arizona auction, including a 1996 Buick Blackhawk concept car for $522,500, a 1969 Chevrolet Camaro ZL1 Copo Coupe for $319,000, and a 1959 Chevrolet Corvette convertible for $220,000. Other items included a 1998 Cadillac Braum, which was built for the Pope. That vehicle was blessed by the Pope but never used because of safety issues. It sold for more than $57,000. Most were pre-production, development, concept, or prototype cars. The vehicles came from GM's Heritage Center, an 81,000-square-foot facility in Sterling, Michigan, that houses hundreds of cars and trucks from GM's past. Along with documents chronicling the company's history and other artifacts and automobilia, rumors spread that the financially troubled GM was selling off its entire fleet of historic vehicles, but that was not the case. As the New York Times reported shortly after the January auction, Much has been made of the timing of the sale coinciding with GM's current situation, but GM is simply doing the same thing that many large-scale collectors and museums regularly do in culling certain pieces from their collections. This was hardly a wholesale dumping of GM's heritage. January 19 On this date in literary history in the year 1809, Edgar Allan Poe is born. Poet Author and literary critic, Edgar Allan Poe is born in Boston, Massachusetts. By the time he was three years old, both of Poe's parents had died, leaving him in the care of his godfather, John Allan, a wealthy tobacco merchant. After attending school in England, Poe entered the University of Virginia in 1826. After fighting with Allan over his heavy gambling debts, he was forced to leave the University of Virginia after only eight months. Poe then served two years in the U.S. Army and won an appointment to West Point. After another falling out, Allen cut him off completely, and he got himself dismissed from the academy for rules infractions. Dark, handsome, and brooding, Poe had published three works of poetry by that time, none of which had received much attention. In 1836. While working as an editor at the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond, Virginia, Poe married his 13-year-old cousin, Virginia Clem. He also completed his first full-length work of fiction, Arthur Gordon Pym. Published in 1838, Poe lost his job at the Messenger due to his heavy drinking, and the couple moved to Philadelphia where Poe worked as an editor at Burton's Gentleman's Magazine and Graham's Magazine. He became known for his direct and incisive criticism, as well as for dark horror stories like The Fall of the House of Usher and The Tell-Tale Heart. Also around this time, Poe began writing mystery stories, including The Murders of the Rue Morgue and The Purloined Letter, Works That would earn him a reputation as the father of the modern detective story. In 1844, the Poe's moved to New York City. He scored a spectacular success the following year with his poem, The Raven. While Poe was working to launch the Broadway Journal, which soon failed, his wife Virginia fell ill and died of tuberculosis in early 1847. His wife's death Drove Poe even deeper into alcoholism and drug abuse. After becoming involved with several women, Poe returned to Richmond in 1849 and got engaged to an old flame. Before the wedding, however, Poe died suddenly. Though circumstances are somewhat unclear, it appeared he began drinking at a party in Baltimore and disappeared, only to be found incoherent in a gutter three days later. Taken to the hospital, he died on October 7, 1849, at the age of 40. January 20. On this date in music history in the year 1971, Marvin Gaye's hit single, What's Going On? is released. January 20, 1971, sees the release of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, In addition to being a massive hit, the song marked a turning point in Gay's career and in the trajectory of Motown. Gay achieved popularity in the 1960s with songs like How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You and I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Prime examples of the Motown sound, which blended soul, rock, and pop, and is often credited with a leading role in the racial integration of popular music in America. Gay's record label, Tamla, was an imprint of Motown Records, and as such, Gay's work was guided and supervised by legendary Motown founder, Barry Gordy. Gay's early music, like that of many Motown artists, was innovative and increasingly sexual, but hardly political. What's Going On originated with Rolando O.B. Benson, a member of the Motown group, The Four Tops, Who penned an early version after witnessing police violence against anti Vietnam War protesters in Berkeley, California? Benson took the song to Gay, whose brother had recently returned from the war and whose cousin had died in it, and Gay made it his own. The song's lyrics both implicitly references the violent rifts in American society Mother, Mother, there's too many of you crying, and explicitly questions of war. Why we don't need to escalate. War is not the answer, for only love can conquer hate. These lyrics made it ripe for controversy enough that Gordy discouraged Gay from according the song, saying, Don't be ridiculous, that's taking things too far. Ultimately, Gay went on a recording strike to force Gordy to release What's Going On. Not many artists had the gumption or the clout to stand up to Gordy, and as such, The single's release foreshadowed his future disagreements with Gordy and eventually split with Motown. The single reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and would go on to be named the fourth greatest song of all time by Rolling Stone. The album, What's Going On, released the following May, was a concept album that further explored Gay's opposition to the war as well as other sensitive topics like poverty and drug use. The song, Mercy Mercy Me – The Ecology is one of the earliest examples of environmentalist messaging in mainstream pop music. Critics continue to rate the album, and its title track among the most influential recordings in modern musical history. January 21. On this date in history, in the year 1910, the U.S. immigration station Angel Island opens in San Francisco Bay referred to as the Ellis Island of the West, Angel Island in California's San Francisco Bay opens in January 21, 1910, as America's major port of entry for Asian immigrants. Over the next 30 years, an estimated 100,000 Chinese and 70,000 Japanese are processed through this station. Established as a military reserve during the Civil War, 20 acres of a 740-acre island was transferred for use as an immigrant station in 1905, according to the National Park Service. With San Francisco serving as a key immigration entry point for Asian immigrants, Angel Island, located six miles off the city's coast, was a preferred location for the station over the mainland. Its location allowed for greater control over immigrant entry to the U.S., prevented immigrants on the island from communicating with immigration on the mainland, and slowed the introduction of new or deadly diseases to the general population, according to the Park Service. After arriving by ship in the bay, immigrants without official documentation were ferried to the island where, the Park Service notes, they were quarantined by race and sex regardless of familial bonds, with children younger than 12 allowed to remain with their mothers. Medical examinations and other hearings could take days to years in a prison like environment. In 1940, the station was moved to mainland San Francisco, and Angel Island is now a California state park. January 22. On this date in U.S. history, in the year 2003, Hispanics are officially declared the largest minority group in the U.S. The U.S. Census Bureau releases detailed statistics on race and ethnicity, the first time such numbers have been released since the 2000 Census. The numbers showed that the Hispanic population of the United States had increased by 4.7% since the last count, officially making Hispanics the largest minority group in the country. The trends of the last several decades had indicated that this milestone was approaching. The foreign-born population of the United States had been increasing exponentially from just 9.6 million in 1970 to 31.1 million by 2000, and immigrants from Latin America accounted for a large percentage of those newcomers. The 2000 census showed that 29% of immigrants in the U.S. had come from Mexico alone, while immigrants from other Latin American nations made up another 22%. Birth rates in the Hispanic American community were also among the highest in the nation. The demographic shift was significant for several reasons. Robert Puro from the Pew Hispanic Center told the New York Times that it challenged the way Americans thought about race. Much of this nation's history is wrapped up in the interplay between black and white, he said. This serves as an official announcement that we as Americans cannot think of race in that way anymore. The announcement marked one of the inciting moments for an undercurrent of racism that has brewed in America ever since, as some whites have become increasingly concerned with birth rates and the notion that America will someday no longer be majority white. But Sonia Perez, from the National Council of La Raza, framed the landmark as a moment for unity. Rather than comparing groups, she said, we should be looking at the status of communities, the Hispanic Americans' represented by the census data, have had a profound effect on American society. In many parts of the nation, Spanish is now on at least equal footing with English, and American music and culture would be unrecognizable without the contributions of its largest minority group. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for January 16 through January 22. If you'd like to learn more about AIRS LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then,